buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. Welcome to The Sales Hustle, the only no BS podcast where we bring you the real, raw, uncut experiences from sales change makers across various industries. The only place where you can get what you're looking for to up your sales game. Today's episode is brought to you by SalesCast. SalesCast helps sales professionals transform the relationship building process and win their dream clients. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. All right. Welcome to another episode, Sales Hustlers. I've got a great guest for you today. We had a ton of fun chatting up before we even hit record. Um, I've got Rob Napoleon. He's an accomplished trainer, speaker, entrepreneur, business, and career coach based in Brooklyn, New York, originally from the Midwest. And his journey has taken him from his hometown, Kansas City, um, to New York, and uh, by the way of Milan. So he works with startups on driving sales and has founded a couple of market entry and coaching based businesses. Rob, welcome to Sales Hustle. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for for being here. Excited to be chatting and you know how to give a shout out to. I know this is my Royals mug, but you know, this is being filmed before the Chiefs got the Super Bowl this Sunday. So got to rep my hometown. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, uh, hopefully that we don't lose any followers by that statement there. <laughs> hey, I'm not I'm not I, I a big you. sports guy, so I don't I don't I doesn't I'm not too like crazy about uh, rivalries or my sports team, but but yeah. anyway, um, dude, I I had a lot of fun just talking with you before we hit record here, so yeah. I know that this is going to be a ton of fun and and provide a tremendous amount of value for all our sales hustlers out there. And as always, just give us the short version of your sales story, and then we will jump in to some of the tactical stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet. I. You know, went to school, played Division three college football, and got a degree in marketing uh, because one of my early classes, I had to watch Mad Men, and I fell in love with Dom Jeffers. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, I, little uh -huh. did I know that advertising is different than marketing. So I got my degree in marketing, tried to find a job in marketing, couldn't, fell into sales, started recruiting uh, software developers for Fortune 500, Forbes 100 companies. This was at the time after the financial crisis back in 2011-12 when these big insurance and financial companies were looking at becoming recession-proof, right? So they're moving over from Cobalt Legacy onto the cloud. And I fit, I fit in really nicely in that and did a $5 million book of business in about four years. Had a lot of great things going for me working for this company in the Midwest. Uh, met my now wife who uh, was finishing her degree and said, hey, I'm going to get my master's in Europe. Do you wanna keep dating? You wanna come with me? said, sure, why the hell not? Sold everything, house, left my job, everything. Went to Europe in Milan, Italy. Coached professional American football, got a master's degree 
and worked for a startup. It was a direct-to-consumer company, wearable device connected to an app. I helped them scale from 5K monthly to 100K monthly. Got to sell them with every country around the world, minus a few that wouldn't allow me to sell to them because I was a time-based business. Mm. Got to come to New York City through an accelerator. So I was a C-level executive for a startup, helping go through the fundraising process, the acceleration process, selling and bringing it to the market, did some great things, ultimately decided not to to fully do that. And so um, got into sales recruitment here in New York for a large global firm, went to a smaller firm after building a team in a million dollar book of business there, um, got fired for the first time uh, because mm. I was, while I was selling and doing things right, uh, the guy that hired me looked at me and he's like, I know that this isn't your passion. And, he, and mm -hmm. so he actually fired me and gave me a great little package and said, Rob, go start your own thing. Like you need to do this, this is who you are. And so I started two businesses, uh, Rise Up Coaching, which is my um, entrepreneurship mindset, leadership coaching and career coaching. So focusing on how to, you know, scale tactically certain things in businesses and then half day group with my business partner, Phil, which is a US market entry company and sales as a service. So we've got a outsourced sales team for hire and we help companies come into the market, really drive that early traction and growth and market research, testing, customer discovery, all those things. So they can come over with full confidence that they have market validation. And so that's, that's my sales journey to today where, you know, I run my own businesses. I do a lot of coaching, speaking and training, um, right now. Wow. All right. Sounds like it's been a bit of a ride, huh? <laughs> it, it has been, it's been a little bit all over the place. And, you know, through that, I've learned a lot of lessons, made a lot of mistakes in my career as well. I told you all the highlights there. Um, we can yeah. dive into some of the mistakes, including, you know, getting fired for the first time, which, was a much needed kick in the ass. Mm, mm. Now out of all those sales accolades, I think the one that stands out most is, uh, uh, selling your wife to drop everything and move to another country. No, she, she <laughs> sold me. She okay. sold me. She was out the door. She sold me, which was surprising. I was like, uh, sure, sure. Like, let's go. And, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more happier. Uh, that was six years ago, seven years ago now. So. Wow. Okay. So tell me, um, so many things there in, I feel like a short period of time. Um, so tell me, tell me about getting fired for the first time. Like, what was that like? And kind of, you know, it, it, you say it was the needed kick in the ass that you needed, but it probably still didn't feel that good. No, it didn't, you know, and it was one of those things where I made a decision to go there because I knew the company I was working for, while I was being successful, had opportunities. It was not, it was not the impact I wanted. I had a chance to build a new line of business. I got to build some teams. I got to do some cool things. I, you know, was stressful. I made some mistakes. You know, that large corporate. I wanted it. I wanted that large corporate experience. And you know, got to go in and and you know, be a part of some some cool changes and things, bringing in some a little bit of flair. As you could tell, I got the flow going on and and whatnot. And so. Um, you know, when I went to this this company, I knew that I wanted to go more startups. I was I've always been working startups. I after I worked for a startup, came over here, I got into the accelerator community. I spent a lot of time working as a mentor for amazing startups, and and you know, I was recruiting salespeople, I was recruiting marketing people in for them, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to help more. And so when I went to the smaller you know firm, I just I didn't. I tried to give them my all, but it wasn't there. I was, I, I realized that I was one foot in, one foot out. And, and I think he mm -hmm. saw that my boss, he saw that and he knew that if I was still, you know, I, 
I wasn't the best seller on the team. I wasn't like blowing stuff up, but I wasn't like not hitting quota either. And it was just one of those things where we both kind of knew it was the right fit. And we both knew there was something missing, but you know, I'd be honest to say if I, if it felt, it didn't feel good, but I would be remiss to say I knew it was coming in a way. And, but I was still mm -hmm. blindsided, right? Like I knew that at some point something, something had to give, whether it was, it was, you know, me just, you know, my mindset shifting, whether it was me making a decision to walk away or was I'm going to get kicked out of the door because, you know, my time is, is seen being split. So yeah, I felt, you know, it was horrible. I remember walking out and just thinking, you know, this is what I was wanting to, I mean, I wanted this opportunity to potentially go build something on my own and do something. The reason why I never did is I was scared. And when I got fired, I was like, oh shit. And the fear left, right? I mean, I was scared, I was hurt. I didn't want to have to tell my wife. And, uh, you know, I was like, how do I say that? He, he even said, he's like, you don't have to tell people who got fired. You can tell whatever story you want. He was so supportive of it. But I needed to tell people I got fired. I needed to tell myself that I got fired. And where it hurt and stung, it also took away some of the fear to go build something. And look at, I want to do what makes me happy and the impact that I can make into the communities that I serve. And go make money doing it right but that mm -hmm. impact and that passion piece was something that i was you know missing i love talking about recruitment strategies and how to attract and and, and you know bring on millennials how to engage them all these things but i don't love recruiting you know and so it made sense it was the right thing it hurt like hell but it also you know made me look in the mirror of you know impact passion and you know just did I give everything I had? No. Is that on him? No, it's on me. And so many times we look for an excuse and I did at first, but I looked in the mirror and said, you know what? This is all me. It's me for not giving a hundred percent to where I needed to give it to. So, yeah, I, I, I think that I love your, your honesty and vulnerability around this topic. And, and I, the reason I asked that question is because I'm just going to take a bit of a uh, a guess here. And there's probably a lot of people in sales or in particular roles that might be in that position, right? Where they're half in, half out, looking for the next thing. Don't really love what they're selling. Don't really love maybe the team they're working with mm -hmm. and are just kind of sticking around maybe because they're decent at it. Maybe because, so how, how important do you think it is to be passionate about what you do or what you sell? Yeah. I love this question. And there's a couple of different types of people. So you, when you speak to people, this, there's some that, that want to, to do what they're comfortable with and that's okay because they've got other things that they have outside They're you know, this or that, and that's, they want that kind of stability. But then there's the people that, as you just explained, they're not happy, but they're good at it. They're decent. And it's because they're scared and it's really important to be passionate about what you sell. You know, the millennial generation, my generation cares about impact. They care about what are they actually doing and, and what it's making, not only how they're making money, but what it's doing for others and that there's something there. And it's either, you know, the environment that they're in working for a cool startup, even though they're not at a startup, they're a series C funded scale up growth stage company that they call a startup because they don't know what the real startup is or it's the product and they want to make sure that the product they're selling makes a difference. And there's a lot of derivative products that don't. And it's, it's really about 
being scared. You know, we're always looking for the next thing. The market's volatile. The average salesperson stays at their job 12 to 18 months. And that's six months longer than what usually happens. And it's because everybody is looking for the next best thing versus finding joy and passion in what they're doing and why they're doing it for the company. So I think passion is everything. And it, it could be the product. It could be the company's mission. It could be the team. But what are you passionate about and why? And that makes a big difference. And that should be a driving factor into where you go, what you're selling and why you're doing it. And and so, and this is really important when recruiting salespeople to know, you know, is it something they're going to be passionate about? Um, so talk to me a little bit about like recruiting the right sales talent and maybe specifically millennials. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing I think about is a lot of sales managers and sales leaders now, especially at that like frontline level are millennials. They're 25, 26, 27, and they're put in that position because they were good at sales and they closed some business. That's not always the right person to put in there because sometimes people are just better sellers than leaders, right? Yeah. You know, Andy Reid is one of the, going sports analogy is one of the best coaches in the world, but, and he played football, but he was marginally good, but he wasn't great. You know, mm -hmm. not everyone has, you know, not every good coach is a great player and not every great player is going to be a good coach. And it's first and foremost, really important to analyze why are you putting people in leadership positions and putting the right people in those positions. The second piece is interviewing. When you have wrong people in those positions, they don't know how to interview. No one's gone through an interview training course. So you're interviewing salespeople that you can have a beer with because you like the Yankees and you like this. Yeah, they'd be a good fit for a team. We like the Yankees. You can go out and have beers on Friday after work, but are they the best sale seller? So as we're looking at bringing in these, you know, building sales teams, it comes down to, you know, what do millennials want in a role? They want the ability to make an impact, right? And that impact doesn't need to change the world. It could just be the chance they have for growth opportunities. It could be because the impact is the product that they're selling. It could be that the space that they're helping serve, right? You know, mm -hmm. I want to be able to sell this product into nonprofits to help nonprofits have an easier place to do their mission work and be thinking about the things that your company does in the way it's structured to what millennials want. And then, you know, really work that through and have that shine through culture, have that shine through employee engagement, have that shine through the way you write a job description, you know, putting it out there like we, you know, we like to get shit done here. You like inbox zero, we'll high five you. Put that in your job description because that's going to make me like, hell yeah, I want to come work for Colin, right? Mm. That attitude, that passion that comes across the page versus we need another person with two years of SaaS experience. The other thing is hire for ability. Sometimes the best sellers don't come from your competitor. They're sitting there wanting to get into sales because they went into accounting and they realized they wanted to talk to people and they hate accounting every day, but they're good at numbers and they're good at process. Mm. Some of the best salespeople I've ever met are introverted and have financial degrees. Long gone are the days of like me, relationship, everything, super, yeah. you know, connect with you, but I can't do hold process to save my life. You know, th those days are different. It's not always be closing. It's what, you know, providing value always. Mm. And the way that you go through process, the way you serve the clients that you do, the way that you sell, the way you create relationships. So, so some of my, some of the best qualities that I look for in, in a salesperson when I don't care if they have been in sales or are wanting to get in sales, but there's three kind of key 
there's probably a few more, but I'd say these are the ones that stand out the most is are they hungry? Are they curious? And are they coachable? Those are like that. Those are like the three, I think essentials. And I don't, and there's people that have been in sales that have a lot of experience that are not coachable, are not hungry and aren't curious. And the reason that people that are curious are so good in sales is because those are the typical people that really want to learn and are going to be curious with their prospects to ask the right questions, to find out like, hey, are we a right fit? Does it make sense for us to work together? Do you have a problem that is number one, even worth solving for you? And am I the right fit to fix that problem? Like those are the best people in sales. I was not that when I first got in sales. I had, Mm -hmm. you could smell my commission breath from a mile away. Like, and that's just because that's the way I was taught. Um, and I didn't know any better and I didn't go to college and I frankly barely made it through high school, pretty much dropped out and got my credits and sales was really the only thing that was going to take a chance on me. And I learned a lot of bad habits early on, Mm -hmm. um, and had to kind of seek out some of my own knowledge to kind of transition from that really kind of gross, always be closing sort of mentality to always be helping and serving. Um, so what do you look for? Do you agree with those or there's anything that you'd add to like, you know, you said that people with accounting experience, typically how you've seen be the best salespeople. What are some other examples or qualities that you look for? Yeah. Well, one, I want to just, you know, appreciate you for being super vulnerable and sharing kind of your story and that. And, you know, I might kind of steal the hungry, curious and coachable. That's, that's amazing. Cause I think the curiosity thing is like the key. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people that are hungry. I'm hungry. I've always been hungry, but I've been hungry to the point of hungry for ideas versus hungry for execution. So I think when you think about hungry, curiosity, and coachability, the hungry needs to be a hunger for the execution because they're hungry for a commission, they're hungry for a title, they're hungry for this. They're not going to be hungry for the the shit, the day to day, right? Curious was the one that really stuck out to me because in sales too much, we're always like, I got to drive the next step. I got to get my band in. I got to get my, you know, quota in. I got to hit all this stuff. And I got to get my top of funnel, my 500 messages outbound, my 25 calls. I got to hit all these things versus am I listening to my prospects when I have them on the phone? Am I curious mm-hmm. enough to understand their pain? And am I listening to say, hey, you know what? I can't help you right now. But these other things can. Or curious enough to understand their pain where that I can say, you know, I can help you and here's why. And instead of selling every feature and benefit, you sell the two or three that matter to them. And so I agree with all of those things. You know, again, going back to the hungry thing is really looking at what are they hungry for? And so all that kind of comes to me, the big pieces I hire for, you know, raw talent and skill. You know, I, you know, I've lost out on jobs and I've applied to try to get into SaaS sales for years. And I've always, never one's ever taken a chance on me. They've always been, you know, you've never sold SaaS, you can't sell SaaS. And I'm like, should I have sold people? I've sold services. I've sold products from B2C and B2B. I've sold shoes. I've sold multi-level marketing. Tell me I can't sell SaaS. Like this mentality that you have to have, you know, you have to get lucky to get a job in SaaS out of school and then, you know, go through this whole training process to be a SaaS seller is crazy. It's software as a service. It doesn't change. It's you learn the benefit, you learn the feature, and you learn how to do a really good demo. And those are skills that are easy to do. So teach for, are they curious? Are they hungry? Are they driven for what's next? And are they coachable? Can you teach them and train them and say, hey, 
I can take this talent and turn them into a great salesperson and they want it because that's what they're looking to do and have that passion. That's what yeah. I look for. And that's what I tell people to look for. I tell, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and founders who are looking to make first hires or build teams here. And when I talk to them, I say, don't look for a box. What are the things you need to be successful in this market and find somebody that's hungry enough to go do that. That's a whole different mentality of thinking because they're just, well, my competitor has this job description. This is what I want to hire. And I'll pay 10K to hire my competitors for 10K more than that person's worth because they worked at my competitor for a year and they've already been trained and I'll have to train them. Yeah, that's a big mistake too. People, uh, especially with the younger generation, like people think that just paying them a little bit more or a little bit better or is going to be enough to retain them or to even get them in the first place. And it's not like the younger generation really cares. Like what, what, what are, you know, is there an impact? You know, mm -hmm. who are we serving? What are we fixing? What's the culture? Like there's so many other variables that matter more than just the actual, I mean, there's some people will take a yeah. pay cut just to get more learning experience. Like if they feel like they're not getting the necessary coaching or support to become better at their craft, they will take a pay cut to get that sort of level yeah. of support. Um, and 100%. I think it's just so common that people think, Oh, I just pay them more and we should be able to get them. And that is and not the answer. No, it's not. And the ones that you do pay more to get them here, realize that they could be paid more at a competitor. And so what are they going to do in 12 months? They're going to leave and do the same thing. And so then it comes down to, okay, if I'm going to bring this person in, I need to milk every value out of a year and know that they're going to leave me in a year probably. Unless I go and find what their actual passion is and tap into that. You know, right. you, so then you that's, so that's, so that's when they get crazy about it. You better hit in your activity quota. You better begin yep. your meetings. You better begin your demos. You better begin your pipeline. Cause as soon as somebody offers you a higher pay, you're out of here. So let's maximize exactly. productivity while you're here. And it's just a recipe for disaster. It is. And it's a, it's a high turnover. And then your team is spending 40 to 60% of its time every week. Your manager's hiring and your sales managers aren't training the employees. You, you brought this point. Everyone's looking for more training, right? Well, when the hiring and the sales manager is spending 60% of their time covering turnover and they still have their own quota and they have their, you know, executive meetings, when do they have time to actually coach and train the reps that they're responsible for? Mm. They don't, you know, you know, you've talked, you know, we know I talked about it before, Larry Long Jr. He talks about his plan of keeping his employees engaged and how he spends time training them and giving them the opportunity. Like he's doing it right. Many don't. And it's just, it causes a, a very circle wheel. And it's why, you know, to the point that you and I talked about earlier about training, there's all these now online training, there's all this free content training out there that everybody's looking for because they're not getting it from their employer. And so it's so easy for them to jump at all these different things and be disconnected and like me, not fully invested in the company I work for, the product I was selling and the yeah. thing I was there to do because my time and attention is pulled because I'm not getting it there mm. to be engaged fully 100% with clear eyes and a full heart to the mission at hand. Yeah. And, and so, and, and I see that and, and I have a little bit of a different perspective on it because if you're not getting the support from the organization that you represent for, it's your responsibility to go out and seek it. Right mm. now, if you're, if you're, that. if, if you are fortunate enough to get that, and it's kind of sad to say that, right? Like it should be, it should be more the norm. It shouldn't be like out of the ordinary to get that level of like support for, you know, personal and professional development mm -hmm. in, in a company that you're fully committed to. Um, but most don't, 
Um, and there is lots of resources out there and, you know, yeah. and, and so most of, a lot of them are free, like blogs, podcasts, you know, books. I mean, the best coaches that I know, the best people that I look up to, they give so much stuff away for free. They're constantly putting stuff out. That's tremendously valuable for you to, you know, become better at your craft and learn. Uh, and most of them, yeah. most of them are even willing to hop on, you know, you and I were talking about something before here and I was like, Hey, here's some ideas I'm kicking around and we've got it talking and you have a tremendous amount of experience and you're like, Hey, let's just get on a call and I'm happy to help you. The people that I follow, the people that I surround myself with, that's the sort of mindset that they yeah. have. So a lot of these folks, like if you reach out and ask for some help, they have no problem getting on, Absolutely. hopping on, giving you all their best ideas, you know, help coaching you a little bit through some things, even if you, mm -hmm. you know, it's not all about just some transaction. No, and that, and that's a great point you just made. You know, I think when I talk to you know, entrepreneurs, but I also talk to new grads. I do a lot of work, career coaching for you know college kids, and and speak at some different universities and things like that. Is I tell them, you know, look at organizations you want, go reach out, have coffee, learn about it. But I think everyone should have you know, little own little mini board of advisors, right? You should have a coach, a mentor, someone to look up for, someone outside of your eco chamber. Right. So to your point, if you want that all there, but you should have one or two people outside of your eco chamber of every day that you can talk to and come to with, with things that you get stuck on that don't know you so innately and intensely that they can give you real talk. Right. They get to know yeah. you and they get to know you from a place of real talk. So by the time they know you so well, they've been with you for two years, they're always going to shoot you straight versus, you know, you know, if you and I knew each other for 12 years and been friends and, you know, now we're starting to kind of come into the business world together, we may not it may either one run our friendship or two not be straight with yeah. each other. And so you're not getting that real feedback. And that I think is really important is to have kind of a little bit of outside mentorship um, and whatnot. But, you know, when you don't have anything internally, you go look for so much externally that you lose out on, you know, a lot and a lot of passion and a lot of growth. Yeah. And everyone, again, everyone just wants to make an impact. And I don't care if you have a five-year plan for me, but at least give me a, a chance to know that I have opportunity to grow outside of an SDR or an AE or this one space. Like, I know that I could potentially go do these other things with my life and my career. As long as I have that glimmer of hope and there's some training and development around that, I'm going to be happy, you know, producing day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people need to also be intentional about the roles they take. Cause I think a lot of people are so quick to just take any SaaS sales job because they just like, Hey, if I can get into SaaS, then it's just yeah. a, it's just a good, it's a good resume builder, you know, and, yeah. and that's, and, and you gotta be intentional about that. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we talked about a lot of great things, but I want to talk a little bit about, um, so we talked about little recruiting talent, things like that. I kind of talked about both sides of it. Um, but let's kind of shift gears to like more founders, founders that are selling, yeah. do founders need to sell if they don't, what should they do? Like, let's kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Love it. So I believe that, every founder of a company of a startup should sell their sell their product at one point usually the early sales one two i don't they don't need to go sell three million they don't need to do all that but they need to get some of that early sales why because they need to understand the sales process they need to understand how to sell their product the value the unique selling propositions that they give because if they don't know it oh i'm going to go hire rob or colin to come sell my company how is Robin Colin going to know uniquely and innately the value and the unique selling propositions that you started this company with? Right. So it's really important yeah. for founders 
to, to go through and do that and to validate and understand. And then it's also really important for founders to, to track that, right? Because a lot of times founders are like, oh, I have my network. I'm going to go sell. I'm going to go do this stuff. And I'm going to go get my first three clients. And I get my first three clients. I bring in $300,000. Okay, that was easy. And I'm going to go hire Colin. Colin, your job is to double revenue. I did 300000 last year. Colin comes in. You come in. You're like, shit, there's no CRM. The people he sold to, I don't have access to. I don't, there's no collateral, there's no case studies, there's no process, there's no unique selling propositions, there's no ICP. Six months later, Colin either quits or you fire Colin because you didn't give him any, any true training or really show him what to do. And that's a $300,000 mistake. So founders mm -hmm. really need to understand the what, you know, every founder understands the what and the how, but many don't really always understand their why. They need to be able to go say that why to a client and get that client to buy in and be able to understand that process. And they can go train their people. I'm actually working with a founder right now out of Belgium who I'm working with this. And he is so bought in to being the sales guy. He's an engineer by trade, never sold, but he knows that for his company to grow the way he needs to, he needs to learn to sell so that he as a process guy can teach that process to a sales team and run that smoothly. And he is so bought in having so much fun with it. And he's seeing so much success. He's learned so much off of, doing this founder selling that he, I, I have no doubt that when he does a team, they're going to all be so bought in to what they're selling and why into the company culture, because he built the process and he went and did it. He can coach them through that and have that connection and, and be understanding of the challenges of those rejections that salespeople get. So when you're sitting in with your CEO, like, well, why aren't you selling? Well, these are the things I'm overcoming. Well, the data says they should be doing this. Well, no, like, have you done over, you know, have you, how did you overcome that objection when you sold to that CEO, you know? And that's just a really amazing thing that changes the culture and trajectory of startups. Mm. And and I, I love that answer because I, I, I believe the same that, you know, and, and if you, and if you're, you know, have a co-founder, like somebody needs to sell. Yeah. One of the founders should have either selling skills or should learn to sell the product or, yeah. you know, maybe get some coaching or some mentorship or seek out some knowledge and, and figure out how to create that sales process. I think that's so important. Um, and so, but at what point can they step away from the process or do you think they always kind of need to keep their, you know, keep, keep, keep their, their, their hands in the trenches uh, because things yeah. change, right? The selling yeah. process that works today things change, product changes, needs change, competitors come, like there's so many yeah. things that change that the process doesn't always look the same. That, that's a great question. And I'm gonna say it depends, right? It depends on what type of founder you are, um, one, and it depends on how you surround yourself with talent, <clears throat> right? The other big mistake that founders do when they wanna sell is they go hire a CRO or a, you know, a consultant that has a black book that is mm -hmm. gonna get them in front of all these people. When they hire the consultant with the black book, they get a lot of false positives because they're going to introduce them to people that will take a meeting. I can get people meetings. doesn't mean they're going to buy. And as long as you know it's a customer discovery meeting and not a buyer meeting, you know, then, then you're in good shape. But why would you be paying me all that money to get close your early deals? And so it's a lot of false positives. Or they hire a CRO who wants to build a team and spend money who doesn't want to get their hands dirty to build anything. So, at, you know, once you sell a couple clients and you understand Hire a junior hungry salesperson that you can work with on the side. You can share those lessons, let them build a process, let them go through some of those mistakes together, 
So you're always mm -hmm. listening to the voice of the customer. Once you get a process that starts being scalable, you can bring on you know, another salesperson and then a sales leader. And then you hire a sales leader. At that point, you've got some scalability, you have consistent revenue. And then you hire that sales leader. If you want to step away completely, then you need to hire a really good sales leader that is going to be your eyes and your ears and invested in listening to the voice of the customer. And when they report to you, they're going to give you real talk and not be worried about the numbers and be worried about what the market's doing and saying and what their customers are feeling. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, you need to be in, in, in that because when you hire sales leaders who are only wanting to save their job, they're going to be thinking about the number and spend it any way possible. So it's really important to have transparency above uh, through that leadership. And so that's how founders can stay so involved. And again, really depends on how the founder, you know, works in their personality style, but that's kind of how they should be building. And that C-level or that sales leader should be hired later. You know, after you have yeah. a couple of salespeople that are driving, you know, stable sales. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that answer. And, I, and the one thing that you said that really stands out that I just want to touch on for a minute because, uh, it resonates with me so much is, um, hire a junior salesperson and make mistakes together. And I think yeah. that's so important on so many levels because I think a lot of founders or sales leaders tend to kind of think that like they need to have all the answers or have it all figured out or be perfect. And, and there's a, there's, it's, it's so important to just be that real and authentic with, with your team is like, Hey, you know, here's what's working. We're going to do this. And we're also going to test these things and they may work. They may not work. We're going to listen. We're going to see what the customers are going to say. We're going to adapt and we're going to figure it out together. Um, yeah. and I think that creates an amazing culture in your sales team, um, where, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. Yeah. And in that early stage, you know, the reason why so many startups don't make it past a certain level are because they think they know everything and they think that they have this myth that their product is so good that they should really do a little bit of sales and go get 50 million in funding and be the next Uber. No, that's the one percenter. So those unicorns are, you know, so innovative. You can't say, I'm going to build a company like Colin's because Colin has received, his company has received 50 million in Series B funding. I should be able to build something similar with a little bit more improvement and I should get 50 million in funding. No, why would they do that? Mm. They'd probably go invest more money into Colin's company to outpace me than invest all that money into me to have a very similar little bit innovative product. You need to be truly innovative and understand that if you have all, try to have all the answers, it's never going to work. But if you take that step back and you say, you know what, my business could be a multi-million dollar business, a multinational. I'm not trying to become the next unicorn. I'm trying to grow an amazing business that makes impact and money, and we're gonna learn together, you're gonna have staying power. You're gonna be resilient. What we saw in the pandemic is companies that were built off of the next big thing versus being resilient and for their customers are gone. Those that were able to pivot, listen to the customers and did it with passion and purpose, were able to stay through because their customers stayed with them. And when you yeah. build that from the ground up and you stop thinking as a founder that you know everything, cause you don't, <laughs> and you, be vulnerable and transparent that will grow. It's the same thing I think of, of corporate executives. You know, they think they know everything. They have all these big teams. They don't need to have a brand presence, but thing is they're so out of touch with the basic ground level that, that they don't have all the answers easy either. And so for big companies with big corporate executives and these big, large brands, they need to make sure their executives are talking to the front line and actually have that line of communications. Why Elon Musk is doing so well. I mean, he did a clubhouse the other day, 
2000 limit, like 10,000, 20,000 people try to get into it because he wanted to talk about startup stuff. And like, he doesn't need to be talking to, to, you know, average shows like us in clubhouse, but he's doing it because he wants to take that and understand what do millennials want? How can he give back? How can he continue to create engaging product services and teams by listening to what the future leaders of tomorrow are feeling and doing and learning together with them and sharing those insights that changes the game for sales, for every industry, for marketing, for everything. When you start doing that as a founder and looking at that from culture building, it really changes the game on how we create yeah. dynamic teams and growth and opportunities, especially within the sales professional where it's so volatile and, you know, there's so many different things and you could be selling, you'd be the right per seller at the, with the wrong product and you go find a product that you're passionate about and do multi-millions, you know, you could be the best seller, go to a company that you don't feel passionate about and sell nothing because it doesn't come out. And that's just, you know, I know that's a long tangent to it, but yeah. you know, the point's still there. <laughs> no. And, and I think uh, the thing, I mean, adding value and taking time to serve and, and, and help others is so important because those are the type of founders that people want to work for. Those are the yeah. type of founders that, you know, are making themselves accessible. Um, and you know, for anybody who says, Oh, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm doing all this. They're full of shit. You can make time, um, because it makes a, a big difference. So Rob, tons of stuff in here, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, any final thoughts? Where can people, you know, find out more about what you're doing, all that yeah. good stuff? Yeah, I mean, appreciate it. And, you know, my final thought is just, you know, always continue to think about the impact you can make in your own circle. I know we all want to make a great big impact. You all want to do things. But in a world where there's so much stuff going on, think about the impact you can make daily. And what attitude and effort can you bring to that? Because you control two things daily. That's your attitude and your effort. Right? Have a good attitude, give great effort, good things happen, and bring that into every aspect of your life. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'll make sure that we have the links into the podcast. It's Rise Up Rob Knapp, um, Rob Napoli on LinkedIn. You know, Follow me, connect with me. If you want to chat, I know I'm as I told Colin earlier, shoot me a note. Say you heard me on this podcast. Would love to chat around a few things. I always like to offer you know some free time, um, whether it's coaching, whether it's ideas, whatever. You know, always that first call is kind of free idea, no selling, nothing required. And then, you know, see what happens after that. See how I can introduce you to somebody or something or, you know, help you help you move on with what you're looking to do. So get in touch, reach out, you know, let me know that you heard it from this podcast. so I can give Colin some love and, you know, continue sharing some great feedback with, with you and you know, excited about the opportunity. And thanks for being here. And, you know, love the conversation. I'm jacked up for the rest of the day already, man. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Rob. If you're listening to the podcast and you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.